Hi, I'm Michael, and this is Beyond the Screenplay. Today we're talking about Aliens, the James Cameron film, uh, and I'm joined by the Lessons from the Screenplay team, writer Trisha Aran. Hello, everyone. Writer Brian Bittner. Hello. And editor Alex Cayeros. Hi. Brian, you were the one that kind of brought this idea of comparing Aliens and Terminator 2 uh, as examples of what a good sequel is. Where did that idea come from? What did you want to talk about with it? Uh, it's a good question where it actually came from. I don't know if I can remember. It was one of those notes that I had written in just a series of ideas. And then when I pitched it, we were having a little writer's meeting and I brought it up. You just went, a- Aliens versus uh-huh. Terminator 2. Can I, can I watch this video now? Uh, and um, no, I just thought it was always fascinating. I think that people always bring those two movies up as two of, if not the two best sequels of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're both by the same person within a few years of each other. One was a sequel of his own movie. One was the sequel of an a masterpiece that he sort of said let's not just try to do the first movie again. Let's expand on this character. Mm-hmm. Let's tell a different story. Let's tell it in a different way. Um, and uh, and I just thought it was fascinating. And I just thought it'd be really cool to actually focus on not just, hey, these are great sequels just because they're good movies in and of themselves, but how both those movies expanded on the ideas from the first movie and where it went from there. Yeah. Well, and I think what's interesting about these movies also is that because they are so well known as being the sequels, that I think a lot of people have seen them in like the non-chronological order. Mm-hmm. Like I saw Terminator 2 far before I saw Terminator 1. Right. Yep. And I think a lot of people have seen Aliens and not even seen Alien. Yeah. Yeah. Has that been I think, your guys' experience? I think I might have seen them in reverse order. Because I, I, I think Aliens kind of is my original memory of that mm. world. And so Alien was like so, such a weird, different experience. It was like, oh, this is not... A James Cameron movie. This is yeah. not the movie I thought it was. This is like a very different, almost like art film. Yeah. And, uh, and I only learned to appreciate that when I was older and watched it again. And like, oh, wow, this is a masterpiece. But I think when I was younger and I saw it, I'm like, this is kind of boring compared to Aliens. You know, the really fun <laughs> action movie. I mean, I had almost that exact same experience like this week because the first of the like Alien franchise that I saw was Alien Resurrection. I'm very wow. sorry. I know. Same. Really? Yeah. Like, like when it came out? It was well, it was just in college. My friends would put it on and watch it. So I don't even know if I watched the whole thing, but I was it's it was weird. Yeah, it was I think that summer where I thought, okay, I should actually sit down and watch these movies. And then I watched them, I think, all in a row by myself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just have such a visceral memory of like, don't they kill the final like human alien hybrid thing by like blowing it in chunks out of a window? Well, it's like a it's like a pinhole like in a, the yeah. side of the spaceship. Well, the Ripley, yeah, Ripley uses her own blood because her blood is acidic, like the alien's blood to like m- sort of melt the window am i not right that's right uh, it sounds that right sounds right <laughs> <laughs> and then you know you gotta blow it out the airlock basically which is like through a small hole so whole it, like, thing. it was like a little chunks go out at yeah time. it and does kind of get yeah I, to my recollection but i saw that at a family reunion when i was like i don't know 14 or 15 years old and then i was just like this is awesome which it's like certainly not you know <laughs> but um but then I've seen probably Aliens more than any of the other. Like, I've seen it more frequently than any of the others. Frankly, because Alien terrifies me. But this week, I was like, let's sit down and watch it. And you know what? I'm just, my mind is blown. I definitely did not realize how amazing Alien right. is. Because I was just so busy being scared. Mm-hmm. Every other time that I watched it, I didn't. It's so gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It looks amazing. Didn't, didn't they re-release it in theaters back when we were like in high school, college around that time? Oh, I don't know. Maybe it was just a special like Halloween screening I went to, but I think I was like a senior in high school and they showed it in a theater and that's when it clicked for me. It was like, oh, this is like a movie movie. Seeing it in theaters, it really clicked. Every frame of it is incredible. Gorgeous. Yeah. I feel like I saw it right at the the right age where I was young enough to still find it to be the most terrifying movie that I'd ever mm-hmm. seen. Yes. Uh, and I think I've spoken before on the podcast about how if I were in the situation that Sigourney Weaver is in, I would just off myself. Right. Because the idea of being alone on a spaceship with something hunting you is just terrifying. Yep. It's like not even worth trying to survive. Right. Just, just don't put yourself just through that. Up. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But old enough to appreciate the amazing filmmaking that was happening. Mm-hmm. So I was like, this is the scariest movie I've ever seen, and I love it, and I will watch it over and over again, despite the horror that it injects in me. Um, and then they is, made a second one. And then they made a second one. 
<laughs> so the one we're talking about today. Yes. Is, right. Yep. Right. Aliens. <laughs> so Aliens is interesting for me because I think I saw it much, much later. Uh, and being such a fan of the original, I was taken aback by how different it was uh, because it's just so, so different. Yeah. Um, and maybe we can talk about my issues with that later. But there's a lot of things that it does really well. And I think part of that is because it chose to go a different route, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. Well, I think one thing I was thinking about, because I watched uh, Alien 3 also, and uh, is all four of those movies, well, actually, all three of those sequels put Ripley into a brand new situation mm -hmm. that she is unfamiliar with. And I think that makes for a more interesting sequel because a lot of times sequels are well now the character knows what they're doing so how do we fill two hours of something right mm -hmm. but it also helps as the audience to go okay this isn't alien anymore and then you get to alien three and you're like this isn't aliens or alien this is something <laughs> and then resurrection is whatever it is but um <laughs> you know the question mark yeah. the old joke goes uh, every movie is a different genre alien is horror aliens is action alien three is drama and alien resurrection is comedy <laughs> yeah oh. yeah yeah not on oh. purpose necessarily <laughs> It's okay. Aren't yeah. there like yeah. CG swimming aliens at some point? Yes, yeah, there that's are. one of the visuals I remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is burned in my memory. Is Winona a writer in that? Yes. yes. Oh my goodness. Correct. Just, wow. Yep. She's like in a church at one point because she's like spiritual, but she's a robot. Or, she's an yeah. android. Yeah. 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 It is interesting that like it, yeah, all the movies have to have those elements, right? Though. Like right. even though they're yeah. different genres, you've got to like, have the android. Got to have yeah. an android. Yeah. You got to have it blowing out the airlock at some point. <laughs> There's like these weird like tent pole things yeah. that all these seem to have. And I will say the the scene that I remember seeing from Alien Resurrection when my friends in college were putting it on is spoilers. Ripley dies in Alien Three. Yeah, for <laughs> so sure. Alien Resurrection. Mm -hmm. She's just a clone, and then she stumbles upon the room of all of her failed clones. Oh, who that are is still that is haunting. one of the most disturbing. Yeah. Things. Yeah. And so yeah, that that is what made me go, okay, this isn't just a stupid movie. Like, there's something going on here, you know. And of course, you've got Sigourney Weaver acting that moment from both sides of the the flamethrower. You know? Yeah. Um, that, yeah. When I when, I don't know how old I was when I saw Resurrection, but that was the scene that really like f me up i was yeah. just like yeah. uh this is wrong i don't like what i'm seeing right now and like creepy like half sigourney weaver things burning like yeah <laughs> that well, was no memory i found that like more disturbing than anything else in the movie that well, scene it's interesting with the androids too because mm. they play they play with some of these themes and it's so fascinating with the androids that they're some of the scariest like the androids getting like ripped apart and whatever like some well, of the, the scariest the images movie. in the yeah. first and in the second movie yeah. when um, Bishop gets torn in half. Right. Yeah. Yikes. And then his like head is just kind of there and it's well, really in the, intense. In the first movie when uh, Ian Holm and that character mm -hmm. is trying to kill her like that is so that is scary. Very disturbing, yeah. scary scene. Yeah. And one thing I think that was really smart with the second movie. Of course, you set up, oh, there's an android on board. What's he going to do? Right. Uh, but I like that they basically split Ash into Burke and Bishop in Aliens because Burke is the corporate hack who uh -huh. will like sacrifice life because Waylon Yutani told him to. And then Bishop is a good guy. He's a good android. But yeah. they basically took the two two the main elements of Ash's character from Alien and split that off into two different characters, which I thought like, again, cool sequel thing to do to yeah. take the things from the original movie, but put them in the way Cameron says, you got to play for expectations and against expectations. You got to do what people want, but in a way that's not, well, of course the uh, Android goes bad again, like that, who would care? You right. Know? Yeah. It's really smart. I was thinking about that as I was rewatching it this time, this, you know, it becomes a part, a huge part of her character arc in the second one, where she at first is dead set against having him there, so convinced that he is evil, right? Because he is an android. And then to have that full transformation where he becomes like her last and best ally in the fight against this, you know, and like really is he supports her when she decides to go back to get Newt, you know, and mm -hmm. he's doing all this stuff and he crashes the ship into the dock. What, how does he? do that well he comes back for her that's yeah. right yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, oh, so yeah. He, he has she to, thinks he's leaving right he has yes. to circle around because right of all the yeah. explosions yes. and i do like that they go to that point where mm -hmm. they, it's like oh no she was right he is the bad guy right, right, and yeah. then they make you be like no well yeah. that's that's one thing cameron undeniably for all his cheeseball dialogue and all the cameron things that make me roll my eyes he just does the big movie thing yes. so well yeah. he just, and he and he does it in a way that sweeps you up and you really yes. are surprised and along for the ride and thrilled when things happen that go beyond what you ever could have expected yes 
and it is just it's undeniable that he's able to do that um in a lot of these movies and he, he creates iconic images mm-hmm. like yes think about the design of this movie it borrows a lot from alien but it is a totally different design sort of in the way that like all the production design and stuff looks and the the nest with the eggs and then the queen is like really yeah terrifying the queen is amazing yeah and he he actually he designed it cameron designed Mm -hmm, the queen exactly but it doesn't feel ungeigery you know it feels very much like what the evolution of the geiger design would be in a a way that it's pretty cool yeah and think about that loader like oh so good what a climax like watching that again it was so like it's just one of those it's the most actiony like one-liner movies ever yeah yeah. like the book she comes out and like it dollies in and like I feel like in any other situation, I'd be a little bit like eye rolly, mm-hmm. but it's just so good. Yeah, it's yeah. just so satisfying. And it's also just yeah. like it's everything at that moment because the sound design is so intense with Alien Queen trying to get it newt and it's just this chaos mm-hmm. and then it just all goes quiet. Yeah. All you hear are the footsteps of the loader. Yes. Right. And then she says that line and it's just so perfect. <laughs> yeah. And there's so much so meaning good. behind it. Like, yeah. It's not just a throwaway like right, one liner. Right. It's like, yeah, it's like this is a next level moment now. Right. Well, it's, I mean, something that I think is so cool about Aliens is, you know, Alien Ripley wasn't even written as a female character. And mm-hmm. there is, I think there's one line in the entire movie that even references gender at all in the first movie mm-hmm. other than like pronouns. Um, and uh, and then it was Ridley Scott's idea to say, let's make her a female. Like no one will think that like this is the character who's going to get away. We're show Dallas and, you know, John right. Hurt's in this movie and Tom Scare. Um, and, then, and then for Cameron to say, okay, now we have this character who you basically don't know anything about. You think right. Ripley's not the protagonist of Alien. She's the last person who survives. Like you, you, that movie does not focus on her until she's the only one left. There, yeah, there are moments is, yeah. that focuses. And, and she also kind of is like a voice of reason through a lot of it. Yeah. You know, yes. I think you could still yeah. make the argument right. that she's she is, the protagonist. She is I think a so main too. character. But, but she doesn't get the same like weight and focus of like, this Absolutely. is Ripley's story. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. more of an yeah. ensemble, actually. Yeah, she's, like, yeah. she's an equal main character along with others. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So then to come into the second movie saying, well, now we have this character. You know, what do we do with her? And to say, let's make her a mother and let's have that be part of her story to the point where, you know, the studio cut it from the theatrical cut, but you have her finding out that her daughter died of old age and yeah. she missed her 11th birthday party and all the rest of them. And then for her to find Newt, uh, and then now she's this mother to this character, and then for the antagonist to be a mother and then yeah. for her to yes. actually use motherhood like she points the flamethrower at the eggs and saying yes, like right. i'm a mother too i know what this means to you and like that she speaks the language of motherhood <laughs> to like yeah. destroy the antagonist i'm like how cool is that and then <laughs> so of course theme, yeah. get yeah. away from her you bitch like it's is so like it's cool because <laughs> right. it's a cool line and because Sigourney Weaver's badass but like because it actually ties in with this theme right. of what this entire movie is about right yeah it's an <sighs> earned piece of dialogue yeah. in a way that I think I mean of course it is just super actiony and and you know it reminds me of a lot of the one-liners that we still quote from the Terminator series obviously mm-hmm. yeah it just it has all of that culmination behind it. And I am in the time jumps, what you were talking about, going back to what you're talking about, Brian, about the, she finds out her daughter has died. Yeah. The time jumps throughout these series are devastating. Yeah. And so, you know, rewatching alien, which I did, you know, a couple of days ago, knowing like watching her get get into that like cryo sleep or whatever and realize i know what's gonna happen she's not gonna wake up for 57 years or however yeah. long it is it's devastating she's gonna have and to then... defend herself to the corporation like right oh, after surviving yeah. she's gonna have to defend herself Rewatching yeah, yeah. it that was actually i always kind of you know when i was younger kind of like zoned out during those early scenes like get to the planet get to the aliens mm-hmm. but i really was fascinated with just how smart that was just yeah. like how the, the corporation's just just that her first trial is like having to have them even believe her and it's all about money it's all about you lost the payload you know how can we possibly believe there's no evidence of any of this and it's like oh wow what a brilliant thing you know cameron really went to all the places he could go with this movie you know all Mm -hmm. the what ifs following Mm -hmm. the first movie he did and it didn't feel like forced like i think a lot of sequels like try to like twist like the events of the previous one to be like but really this is what happened and it sets up but i think everything all the things that they're accusing her of or saying there isn't evidence for it it all feels accurate to what happened in the original movie when the the original movie also set up that corporation as 
being extremely about bottom line, right? And taking risks with their employees to, to bring back, you know, dangerous alien cargo. So it, it it's all very uh, continuous. Yeah. And the crazy thing is that Cameron, like they weren't even going to move forward without Ripley. Um, right. They were just like, let's make another movie, you know, and Cameron's like, we're making this about Ripley. And he fought to keep it about her because again, like why you just make another movie with the aliens. It's like, why? So the, see, the original pitch from the studio was like, let's just do an alien movie. Not like, the original pitch. It was more along the way. Mm. It got the idea got thrown out to say, well, what if we did it this way? I think, it was said, a, uh-uh. I think there was a debate over Sigourney Weaver's salary because mm-hmm. she was paid so little for the first movie. Right. Like, you know, virtually nothing. And she wanted a million dollars, I think, or something like this. You know, it's like like super reasonable. Yeah, like right. super, yeah. <laughs> and they were and the, the studio didn't want to pay her that because it was 37 times her original salary, whatever, you know. And so she, that was the debate. And they were like, we'll write her out of it. And James Cameron was like, uh, no, yeah, that's this not the is movie about her. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine aliens uh, without Sigourney Weaver? It's no. Not even, uh, yeah. It makes no sense. Uh, yes, I can. It's called Prometheus. Yep. <laughs> it's directed by the director of Alien, and uh, it's not very good. And it's not uh, great. The trailer for it is amazing. Oh, my gosh. Because oh the, the moments or music from the trailer are not in the movie. Well, we yeah. were so wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like, that trailer was awesome. I watched that trailer so many times, <laughs> yeah. and it was a bad idea. <laughs> I, I was so confused and weirded out during the actual movie. Like, yeah doesn't make any sense i, I already movie. had imagined this movie in its entirety in my head from yep. the trailer evidence and then when like the pieces weren't adding up to what i thought it was it was like what yeah, yeah. what is this which is weird because like rogue one that i think borrows a lot from that trailer mm. also had that experience for me. right mm. yeah but, rogue one is like the famous trailer where it's like right. nothing was even in the movie like yeah. half, like half the, the shots were not in the movie yeah, yeah. right yeah. and created just to like look cool in a tra- Ugh, it's so frustrating <laughs> <sighs> Yeah. Yeah. trailer problems but yeah another thing that she uh, Sigourney Weaver had almost not wanted to do a third one because they cut the daughter scene from aliens and she said how would you how could you cut like right. what my character is and was there any justification that we Time, know of? I mean just get let's get there you know let's get to the thing I mean that's not that long a beat like it's not just right. include, yeah. but, but keep, keep in mind the special edition cut is like 30 minutes longer of aliens so I think it right. was the studio was just saying like how can we get this movie down to two hours like let's everything right. we can trim it's just, it's just too bad because like I'm I don't really remember anything else from the extended cut that really is worth keeping in there. Mm. But like that scene really is mm. crucial to understanding like the themes and her yeah. journey. There's, there's a lot of character yeah. moments. I feel like you really have to do that character work between her and Burke as well. Right. Because he positions himself. He comes, he's the first person she basically sees when she wakes up and he positions himself as being her friend. Right. Where he's, you know, sitting in her room and he's like, Listen, I understand where you're coming from. I, you know, he he like tries to be this counsel he to gives her, her and his like, like FaceTime card that he yes. oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. so she can or some shirtless FaceTime. All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, um sorry. But but that scene, he's the person who tells her that her daughter had, you know, had died already. Yeah. And you get that sense of like she really wants to trust him. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of building this relationship that you have to have. Otherwise, then when his betrayal, otherwise his betrayal doesn't mean anything. Just like a performance thing, rewatching that scene, I was reminded of Interstellar, where Matthew McConaughey mm-hmm. also has that kind yeah. of famous yep. scene of him like crying, watching, seeing this grown up daughter. But I feel like Sigourney Weaver's was like more striking, like more powerful to mm-hmm. me. Like there was something. It just you know that's a a situation that no human has ever had right. to experience, right? And I really believed her portrayal of like it was so heartbreaking, yeah. Uh, just the way she performed it, yeah. it was like how could this not be in the movie? Anyway, yeah. sorry to harp on the scene, but it it talks about her, it's about her priorities because he's like you're we have to go and you have to defend yourself in front of the council or whatever the corporation, and he sells her this whole thing like stick to the story, da da da. He's coaching her through it, and at the end of it, she goes. What have you heard about my daughter? That was a question right, I right, asked. Right. You haven't answered it. It's, I can't believe they ever cut it, yeah, yeah. honestly. And, and the reason I bring it up is because I think Alien and Aliens especially and Alien 3 for a different reason, it's so fascinating the different cuts of a movie and what a director feels about the different cuts and everything. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, I try to always watch the version of the movie the director wants me to see. Even if it's, yeah. you know, a 6,000 frames per second version of The Hobbit. Um, <laughs> but like... That's commitment. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, what I love about the Alien Quadrilogy um, is 
if you play the special edition, not director's cut, the extended cut of Alien, Ridley Scott comes on at the beginning and he says, if you want to watch some more footage and some stuff, some extra little things, you can, but the theatrical versions of the version I wanted to make. So I don't watch the extended cut of Alien. I watch Alien. But then when you watch the special edition cut of Aliens, James Cameron comes on and he says, this is the ride we wanted you to take. It's 40 miles of bad road. This is my movie. The theatrical cut was the theatrical cut. It is what it is. And then Alien 3, which David Fincher disowned, the assembly cut (laughs) is basically some people going, let's try to make the version, you know, Fincher was trying to make, which has more character moments. Like Alien 3 is kind of, it's kind of two movies. It's this like nice character development movie with Sigourney with uh, with Ripley. And then it's this B horror movie that's happening. It's like, now we cut to these random guys in a tunnel. What's going to (laughs) happen? But there are more character moments and it's, it is nice to see them go. We can't get the director to give us his cut, but we can try. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I'm curious to watch that cut. I've never seen it. Yeah. It's interesting. And and obviously the making of (laughs) alien three is fascinating. Uh Amazing. But I was, when, when revisiting this, I realized that, Poor uh, Sigourney Weaver had to work with Ridley Scott and then James Cameron and then David Fincher. Like three <laughs> the of the most, most really demanding. demanding. Uh, right. yeah. like, and each one of those films were terrible to like just the to things be that went involved wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, the to endure. Strain. Yeah, yeah. To endure is a good word. Although yeah. I will say watching watching early Fincher and just seeing how how Fincher he already was yeah. is pretty great. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I really like Alien 3. It's not a masterpiece like the verse two, but it's good movie it's got good moments and it is so formative like like you see like you're saying how much fincher was already there and the things that he had to overcome i feel like inform a lot of the fincher that he became afterward right the things he never wanted to deal with again yeah like a 47 page script on like when you start shooting what yeah (laughs) wait what alien 3 the script was 47 pages when they start oh no that sounds like the transformers movies (laughs) oh boy this episode is brought to you by visit williamsburg In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. One of the things that was interesting for me uh, watching Aliens again, so I, I kind of mentioned earlier that you know, I, I saw aliens much later than I saw alien and I I've always had a problem with aliens. And I was thinking maybe this time it would all click for mm. me. Mm. And so while I clicked and you love it and I clicked in the end, <laughs> so I just want to tell you <laughs> the short story. Of, but so I'm going to say up front, I think it is an objectively good example of how to make a sequel for all the reasons. Like we wouldn't have done all this if that wasn't true. Mm-hmm. But I do not like it. Wow. I do not right. like aliens is what I've decided. All right. Like Tell any, us about like your any problems, part Michael. of it. Because like, I, I it, like the ending. I, I feel it's like really yeah. I feel like how all those things come together and the end, like the last 20 minutes, I think are just masterful. Is so it like, Bill Paxton? Is he the problem? So <laughs> the ultimate <laughs> badass, man. It's, it's basically the Marines, Game over, right? Man. Yeah. Game over. <laughs> I like him when he gets there, when he's in his like freaking out state. Yeah. yeah. What are we gonna do? Game <laughs> over, man. I kind of love that. I kind of really I love that. I love Bill Paxton. Yeah. Everyone does. Uh, <laughs> and that's fine. I mean, I like Bill Paxton. I mean, Twister would I'm not saying. have been anything without Bill Paxton. I mean, I mean, and Helen Hunt. So you don't. Weird science? Come on. You don't even enjoy him, like, post, like, freak out. Because I think. Uh, pre-freakout he's kind of annoying and like like a lot of them are annoying but it's supposed to be yeah but i feel like he's really like fun to have there like being that guy who's just freaking out i enjoy everyone yelling at him to shut up yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's fun i didn't feel any empathy for any of the new characters mm, marines, that were yeah. introduced the marines, like yeah. the space marines like and it's so clear that this is you know set up a thing like there are now space marines and this is the movie that everyone is like i feel like even it. like halo and just like every no, for video sure. game that has space marines it's like basically the aliens yeah, yeah. Marines. and, and I, I will yeah. say like it's one of those things that I love because I expect because I it's in my DNA now those guys but mm-hmm. also yeah if I watched that movie for the first time in 2019 what's going on and I think that was what was <laughs> weird about watching Prometheus was Ridley Scott 
it seemed like he tried to take these 80s characters from Ooh. a sequel he did never made and put them into his 2009 movie. So you have all these characters who are like, yeah. like you know, you've got the uh, you've got uh, Idris Elba with the cigar in his mouth and like all this kind of stuff. And it's just and like, like, uh, and like all the scientists are basically idiots. And like, uh, right. And that's my problem for me. Yeah. was like they're all supposed to be like scientists. Right. But they were acting like the dumb jock marine people. Like, yeah, and poke, Char- Charlie's, poke little snake. Charlie's there and Wiley Coyote running away from a thing that is coming at her in a straight line and not just going a few feet to the left so she doesn't die. Right. Yeah. The Prometheus school of running away from things. Yeah. <laughs> as Cinema Sin says. Exactly. Amazing visual effects. Yeah, amazing visual effects. But That's but yeah, I, I think to, to your credit, Michael, like it is weird sometimes to watch something whether it's considered a classic or not from like a different era, if you're not prepared to watch it, you know, I mean, mm. I mean the eighties is such a good example. Watch uh, a pretty in pink or watch a Goonies or a never ending Michael story. definitely has not done any of it. I know. Yeah. And no. uh, that's the other thing. And this is why. <laughs> No. He hates the eighties. You're not inured to the decade enough to, <laughs> to know what to expect. Seriously. But I do. I, I don't know. I feel like the film, the way it tries to build, empathy and connection for the characters is just like them being yeah like like dicks to each other they I don't are. Know. right and like i i think i was i was trying to think about it because you know the characters in alien aren't you know like the most lovable like i want to go hug all these truck drivers in space like, yeah right. but but i feel like there's there was more variety or i don't know there was something about the way the characters were introduced in alien that made me believe them as people mm-hmm. and i feel like the space marines mm. were all just like space marine number one number two and then there were like a couple that was like oh, I like she's interesting and like he's interesting but he like dies early and so i i feel like i was this time watching it kind of being like i'm kind of like rooting for the aliens like i kind of <laughs> like i'm waiting for them and i think that's my other this is just me like pet peeves basically ranting but i think what i really like about alien is the reverence it has for the alien like so much time is built building up this like creature that is like we're incapable of dealing with incapable sure yeah that one one too yeah um (laughs) decapitalized right the uncapableness that we have um of dealing with it i feel like it just it executes that so well that when it like it it appears it's it's horrifying and terrifying mm-hmm. and in this one they're guys in suits getting blasted by guns like i just yeah right. the way aliens treats the xenomorphs i feel like i don't know it's almost like a video game where just like there's a I million mean, of them right. coming out of the wall although I, I will say i i totally get what you're saying but i will say it does do a good job of you don't see an alien until the midpoint of the movie yes um and uh they kind of hide them when they're coming all the turrets and everything you don't see a lot of them or you see them for a shot or something and that's probably more of a budgetary thing but i do like that for a movie with a ton of aliens you don't it's not just they show up in the first 10 minutes and it's going crazy you know but i know what you mean it's not this sort of there is one thing and you know and alien 3 kind of it's almost like the alien isn't even scary anymore because it's just oh here it is we're actually seeing it be born we're seeing it run around a little like oh there it is it's cute you know it's like a little puppy well but you have that luxury in alien because you don't have to like show the alien very much at all and it you know it, it of course, is like Jaws mm-hmm. in that way. Where Jaws it's, in space. It's, it's, it is exactly. Yeah. It's so much scarier to let the audience imagine it, to hide it, to put it in a shadow, to show it only super briefly. That, of course, is an advantage you have when your audience doesn't know what it looks like and isn't expecting to see, a, you know, it's one monster. I don't know. I don't know how I would have done aliens any differently is right. what I'm saying. Like, when it's and yeah. it, it committed to a different genre, basically, of course, yeah. you know, it's like a action horror, right? Movie. And he said, he said he wanted to focus uh, less on horror, more on terror, which is such mm. an interesting, you know, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, kind of, kind of the same in my <laughs> mind to those two words, but yeah. Um, but there's there's shots in that movie in Aliens that feel as iconic to me as Alien, but in a different way. Like when they when they look in the ceiling and there's just that yes. hard cut, mm-hmm. just like there's a line of them yeah. just crawling like bugs towards them. Like that stuck, that stuck with me so much mm. when I was younger, when I first saw it, I was like, Oh my God, they're already there. They're all, there's so many, it's too late. It's all over. Like just those kind of moments in an action movie like that are so satisfying. So I don't know. I think for the kind of movie it is, it gives you those moments really well. And I feel like to its credit, like I think, you know, if you're not 
me. Like I like I get the idea of like we've built up in the first one how terrifying this is. Right. Cut to reveal there's ten of them coming. Like, right. I get why that would be effective for most people. For but for some reason it, it yeah it doesn't play for me. I agree with you that there is something. Just going back to what we were talking about earlier with the Space Marines, mainly because I just want to say the phrase Space Marines, space Marines. as much as I can. <laughs> um, Colonial Space Marines. They really truly. Uh, <laughs> But going back to that, I, I agree with you, Michael, though, that there is something a little bit slapsticky and kind of underdeveloped about them feeling. Well, it's, um, it's a little bit of a James Cameron-y thing, oh, yeah. I think. Yes, yes. He always has those people, you know, yeah. whether it's like... And a very 80s thing. Yeah, yeah. But even like recent Cameron, you know, Avatar, Avatar. you know, right, it's like right. the, the corporate people are just like one-dimensional corporate people yeah. for the unobtainium. And it's like... <laughs> Like, when someone in Avatar said the word unobtainium, I just went, what? <laughs> just like out loud in the theater. Yes. <laughs> I just ruined everyone's experience. Apparently, unobtainium has like a, a history. Yeah, yeah, it's like, a word. Of course it yeah. does. Right. Yeah. But I didn't know that. Wait, it's actually just... like a mineral? No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a word used to describe something unobtained like it's but like it's would a, you actually call the rock that yeah yeah no it's on the nose you, you corporation call it, you call it you can't get it a site <laughs> <laughs> yeah but one one character that i do appreciate the design of especially in aliens is actually gorman yes i was gonna bring up yes gorman. <laughs> i love gorman because it's so smart to have the leader of the expedition be ineffectual un- ineffectual unproved <laughs> yeah. uncapable yeah. incapable his incapability it's such it's really really good writing it's a good choice for that character when he when they're dropping down and he's like this is my Uh, second one what do i do yeah yeah it's great and it it forces ripley to take charge and i think that's such a cool thing about aliens is it does a really good job ripley no way in hell is she gonna go to this planet forget about it and then Finally, she says, you're going to go to destroy them, not to take back, not to study. And then she goes and she's watching. And I think the sort of plot midpoint of the movie is seeing the aliens show up. But the character midpoint is the moment where she just Gorman's not doing his job. And she just takes over and says, OK, I'm involved now. Like, I here we go. I'm getting in on this. And I think that's really cool. And so he he's not only like an entertaining character, but he also serves a purpose to get Ripley to say, Look, if you're going to do something right, you got to do it yourself. I need a gif or like a t-shirt of her saying they can bill me because it is just <laughs> my favorite line. Yeah, so well, good. I feel like that is, I was just, you know, trashing on Cameron and his like goofy one dimensional, you know, side characters. But on the flip side, he is such a good writer as far as asking the question, how do you make it worse? How do you push this mm-hmm, to its limit? Mm-hmm. You know, what is the worst possible person for this job that's going to make it as difficult as possible for Ripley? You know, he he really pushes everything to its limits. And that always makes for the most compelling ride, you know, and, and you can tell he takes the time. He doesn't stop until he gets there. And and he's also a master of construction and plot. Like we can criticize his characterizations all we want to. We might do it some more. Uh, <laughs> but... The plot is masterfully put together. Yes. And the pacing is really smart. All of those beats happen exactly where they belong. It doesn't drag. You right. know, it's it is really, really well structured. That that part of we were talking about on a recent podcast, I think, about screenwriting as math. Like Oh yeah. James Cameron is a math genius mm-hmm. in terms of the actual screenwriting, like construction of something. Yeah, which is actually what's funny, I think, a lot of times about when a studio uh, cuts 20 minutes out of your movie is they'll usually cut 20 of the first 45 minutes because they don't care about your midpoint. They don't care about earning. I mean, that's something Alien does so well is here are some characters. They're truckers in space was one of the Mm -hmm. other phrases that you hear. They're just people. We're going to spend a lot of time with these people so that when things happen, we feel like this is a real world. Um and Aliens, it's similar. It's like, we, let's get to know this character who we don't really know yet from the first movie. Let's yeah. actually find out who she is. And when you cut 20 minutes off of one side of your movie, it makes your movie lopsided. And of course, you know, yeah, get to the action sooner and it's fine. I'm not saying the theatrical cut of Aliens is bad because obviously it was very successful. But, uh, but it just sort of changes the entire shape of your movie. Yeah. And it just blows my mind when you stop and think about it. It's also quite depressing. James Cameron was 31. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was 31 when he made 31 Aliens. 31 when he made Aliens. <sighs> he was 29 when he made The Terminator. Well, well we have, we have a lot take to... Take a moment to think about <laughs> <it>. <laughs> A silence descends. Go home and process that tonight. Yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We were talking about the character, you know, the characterization of the Marines. And I, one thing I do really appreciate about them, though, is the casting. And we always, you know, at some point and during a podcast get to talk about the cast. And you can say what you want about Bill Paxton. But, I mean, he's... Iconic. It is, truly. Iconic. I... The thing that made Alien, you know, we touched on this, so compelling is that these characters feel real, they feel lived in. And then part of that is because they're older. Like a lot of the cast of Alien is older. They're 40 or up, mm-hmm. basically. Only the two women were, you know, they were 29 and 30, I think. But everybody else was older. It was really, really smart casting because they're very, you know, it's just they're down to earth people. They're here to do their job. They don't want to do any work unless they're going to get paid for it. Right. Right. It's like very concerned about. Yes. Very concerned about how much what's in their contract, what's not in their contract, Mm -hmm. whatever. But then the youth actually, in contrast of aliens, is really effective because they're, they're supposed to be these brash you know, um, like excited, yeah. excited to kill aliens. Yeah. 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 These really just swaggering, young, kind of stupid yeah. space Marines. And another bug hunt. <laughs> another, yeah. <laughs> it's just another bug hunt. Yeah. It, but it works. Yeah. You know, the cast skews so much younger. And I appreciate that about Cameron. He could have done something really different. And, you know, whatever. And we talked about Gorman and how inexperienced he is. He's young. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes sense. I and, really and then like Apone dies like halfway through. So it's like there is nobody. Apone is at least their the guy in charge. I don't know. He says Apone. He says, where's Apone? Um, <laughs> my girlfriend's like, what, where's the phone? I said, no, <laughs> Probably not a name actually. But no, exactly. Yeah. And it leaves So then all them, that's left is, yeah. Yeah, it leaves them with Ripley mm-hmm. having to take charge and getting thrust in that situation. As we mentioned, it's really good. Should we talk about Newt? Yeah, we should Nobody talk about Nobody calls Newt. me Rebecca. Except my brother. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, nobody listening can see Brian's perfect facial expressions. Perfect the, new facial the expressions. Yeah. yeah, they're dead. All right, can I go now? <laughs> Listen, I really like Newt. Uh, I love her. I love Newt. I love Newt too. I also love that Carrie Hain is like just a school teacher who was in Aliens once. You know, like a lot of the kids from eighties movies just. Didn't go on to be actors. They're just, you know, hanging out. Healthy, surprising. Yeah. Healthy psychological development. <laughs> yeah. I, have, I have a great story. Um, when I was moving into a place. Yeah, we'll, we'll get back to Newt. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, when I was moving into a place in Van Nuys, uh, we had a, a neighbor come up. And he was about probably 80. Uh, and he brought us a, a bottle of Pinot Grigio. And he said, oh, my name's such and such. Um, and we talked to him. We found out he worked on movies. So then I looked him up. And I'm like, oh, he worked on this. He worked on that. And I'm like... He worked on Willy Wonka and we got excited. And we're so then I'm out of town a couple weekends later and my roommate sends me a, a picture of a letter that he, the neighbor had left at the door. And he said, uh, hey, if you guys are available for drinks on Sunday night, I'm having my friend Peter Ostrom come over. Uh, he's staying with me for the weekend. He played Charlie Bucket in Willy Wonka. And then in parentheses, the one who inherits that, like, yeah, I know <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Charlie Bucket is. And I was out of town, but my roommates went and got to hang out with Peter Ostrom, Charlie Bucket, who is now a large animal vet in upstate New York. Whoa. Wow. And similarly, Carrie Hen is just right. like a school teacher. Every once in a while, kids come in and say, like, I, you, you were in the movie? My parents showed me? <laughs> I mean, I love it. Yeah. But yes, I love Newt. <laughs> love her character. I think it's great. I think it's like, I love the innocence of her character and it really gives Ripley something to, to fight for, you know? Well, and I like how much uh, Cameron commits to like what kind of trauma she's been yeah. through and how she's basically reverted to like animal instinct yeah, yeah. at the beginning. And yeah, maybe 
the performance isn't always you know spot on and maybe it's a little cheesy but i actually i like that commitment to you know i mm-hmm. hate in horror movies or sci-fi movies where people put in these extreme situations just kind of seem fine yeah <laughs> just kind of act normally or it's like just kind of bothers them but whatever but like she had to survive like the alien apocalypse and so i like that they commit to that and she's you know she's difficult to deal with at first yeah. because she's just in such a traumatic state mm-hmm. yeah and then, and then also showing showing ripley caring for her you know cleaning her up and then oh pretty girl under there and everything just showing that that mother side of her when i i really i do feel like that uh, the other cameron touch that he brings to aliens that isn't really present in alien is just he is also really good at those simple emotional family stories mm-hmm. you know he has that spielbergian touch and it really works it really works in aliens yeah and what, what you were saying about the trauma that she clearly has gone through and i love that she's asleep under the the bed you know when mm-hmm. they she they have her in the lab and whatever and she crawls under the cot which is like the reason they survive right when there's the face huggers in there terrifying that's, that's a great scene that scene stuck with me it's like oh trapped in a lab with the face huggers mm-hmm. it's nice of the face huggers to go so slow and they do to, go quite to slow. hang out in the well, corner there's, there's for a while while they like try a, to escape there's a and long then... section where they're banging on the glass and it's like what yeah. happened to the face hugger yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's just waiting for its moment i, I guess that, that kind of well that kind of works for me actually because it's scary when we don't know where it is, right? It's and, that whole thing where, like, yeah. if there's a spider in your room, it's way better to know where it is than to not know where it is. When I also feel like a face hugger, I feel like I don't, I guess I don't have expectations exactly of like what his behavior is. It seems a little more erratic than like the full grown alien. So I don't know. Maybe it's it's a baby. It doesn't know how to live. It's yet. crawling around frantically somewhere and then it finds them again. I don't They're know. just cute little babies. Michael is so does not care. He's not giving this movie any no, slack. Come on. No slack. It's I mean, yeah, no, it's fine. Okay, well, here's my question. What do you think is the scariest moment in aliens that like sticks with you? I can't think of one. I don't. I don't think aliens is scary. I mean, no. I th- so I think I do think that the face hugger scene is probably the scariest. Like the moments when it's jumping out at you, yes, and it's doing this behavior that we've seen. What happens if it lands? Like that is scary. Once it starts like scampering away and then like hiding, I'm like, well, okay. But the beginning of the scene where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, we're trapped in the room with this thing that we've seen what it does and how it like wraps around, like. That that is legitimately scary, and like I jump when it's jumping at them, and they block her. So, and that one. I have a different question to ask, Michael. Ooh. What do you think would be a better sequel to Alien? Ooh. I don't know that there is a better sequel. I think that you can't make a sequel to Alien, mm-hmm. and so I think that's why I am fine with the idea that like Aliens exists, and it's like, yeah, if you're gonna make a sequel, do something different. And execute that thing really well. Right. I think as someone that just loves so much about the original, it was just hard for me to get into all the things that it left behind. Mm. And like I said, I saw it much later. Like when Paul Reiser showed up, I was like, wait, that's the mad about you guy. Like I can't take this seriously. It's Paul Reiser. Uh, so I, I, I mean, I'm, so much baggage coming. There's in this a lot movie. of baggage, but yeah, I don't there's know. There's no laugh track after he says his own. <laughs> and he is good. I don't know. I, th- I think it's. For some reason, even watching it several times now and like understanding the context, like the build up to them, like encountering the aliens for the first time, I don't know, it doesn't like play for me. Like, I think it's like we know the aliens are dangerous. Like, we know mm-hmm. Sigourney Reaver is right. Like, we know what's gonna, like, it's gonna be bad. So, I feel like they're the tension that is supposed to be built up as we're getting to know these dumb space marines that are going to die. I'm just like... You say getting to know as if the movie spends like a lot of time actually telling us who they are. It's, 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 I mean, there's, I feel like there's like a good 20 minutes of like characterization of like, you know, she wakes up and it's like meeting the team and like, we're going to give the briefing. Like, we don't think this briefing is like legitimate. And like, I'm going to tell you what's really going on, but we're going to interrupt and make fun of you. And it's like, shut up. She's like, I don't know. I was just, I just didn't. You have to have it, though. You have to have it if you're going to kill them off one by one. You have give give them some kind of personality. But I think my problem is that, like, because we know they're wrong, like, there's no opportunity for me to connect to them. Because it's like, I already know that she's right and you all are wrong. I saw the first movie. Like, we know what this is that they're going into. So, 
like I mean, I, I, are, I guess, we, are we supposed to connect with most of them? Maybe that, it's that's just, that's my point. just like a couple of them. We're not know? supposed to think they're right. Yeah. we know they're wrong, and and we're just like Hicks. That's why we're frustrated. Is, yeah. I feel like is the only one of the Marines that actually really yeah. matters in the story. Of course, and he is. so like as long as you get to know him, and I feel like I do, I do empathize with him, and I do connect with him, and the rest of them are kind of cannon fodder to some degree. But collectively, they're there as a foil to Ripley. They're meant to make you as the audience be frustrated and go, she's right and you're wrong. They're not meant to make you doubt whether or not there's any danger. And an hour into the movie when that finally pays off, like it works, mm-hmm. but I just didn't need to spend the first 40 minutes with these people that, I don't know. You sound like, like a theatrical cut guy over here. I know. I like their <laughs> I like their relationships with each other. So think about it when, um, I'm not going to remember the name of the character, but Drake, there we go. Think about it when Drake gets sprayed with the acid and he's dying or whatever. Right. I feel like that connection, I absolutely felt. But they cut to the expression on her face that the woman Marine, whose name I don't remember. Vasquez. Vasquez, thank you. Who is amazing in this, for the record, and did not realize she was the same woman from T2. She plays his uh, foster mom in T2. Oh, right, right. That is the same person. What? Yes. Yes. Mind no. uh, Jeanette's uh, Goldstein. Yeah, I have her it somewhere. Name? Yeah. yeah, Jeanette Goldstein. Yeah. Genius. Yeah. A lot of Terminator crossover. A, wow. A, a ton. Yeah. Also, also that gun. Also Bill Paxton. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. he was in Terminator 1. Um, also that gun weighed like half of her weight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's such a boss in this. Yeah. yeah. But I really to, like her. They cut to her face when... Her friend is dying, you know, and she has to leave him. They have they pull her in, and she's like, "No, we can't leave him," or whatever. That works. There's a, there's some emotional undercurrent there. I mean, it isn't quite the same as. And actually, we know more about these Marines than we know about pretty much the truckers from Alien. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I feel like that that moment does work for me, hundred percent. I think for me, even though I don't know the truckers, it was more fun like hanging out with them than okay. it was for me to hang out with. The Space Marines. I, mean, I feel like, yeah, there's a lot of early Space Marine stuff that is just what has become so cliche. Maybe it wasn't at that moment, but like, right. it's like Hasn't every every well. video game you play now with Space Marines, which is a lot of them, they basically have the exact same like banter and like, you know, just fooling around with each other and just being macho. And it's just kind of over that now. But yeah. maybe when this came out, that was not so cliche. Mm. But I, I agree with you. I mean, obviously, this is they are there to be a foil to Ripley. That is what they are there for. And I think they're effective at that. And I love how they treat Ripley at first, where they're like so dismissive of her, as you were saying, they're talking over her and whatever. And then she asks what she can do to help. And they're like, you can't do anything to help. She's like, I'll drive that loader. Excuse me. Um, (laughs) It's a great moment. I mean, obviously, we could talk about like the setups and payoffs because this movie is excellent at that. But... It is a great character moment for her. It's a great character moment for them. It works. I'll stand by it all day. So what else? You're about allowed. This movie? You're allowed not to like it, yeah. but you're not right. <laughs> that's fine. No, and that's that's how I began. Right. This is this is my opinion. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It just for some reason does not doesn't work. Click, for me. Doesn't work. Yeah. 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 We all have that. Those it movies. hasn't aged quite as gracefully as Alien has. Sure. I feel Obviously. like that's also yeah. just what's interesting about it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, visually, Alien is just like think about, think about the opening sequence of Alien where the camera is floating, you know, just around on mm-hmm. the ship, and then think about the way we met that ensemble cast with the that circular area mm-hmm. with the pods. It's it's more of a pure cinema yeah. Yeah. thing happening. Whereas it cut to Aliens, it's quick grinning and drop your linen. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like Alien is a film, Aliens is a movie. Ooh. Wow, I think that's, that's some shade. Just how I. All right, all right. That's a good place to wrap it up. I, I think. think so. Yeah. yeah. How do I get out of this chicken shit outfit? <laughs> <laughs> and like the captain, like just putting the cigar in his mouth yeah. as soon as he sits up yep. from cryo sleep. Yeah. Like it's just so much, so much of that. Uh, okay. Yeah. One of wait, one of my favorite things about cryo sleep though is how you have to wear your underwear. Right. You right. can't. You can't wear your regular clothes, but you also can't be naked. Just underwear is, right. the, is the rule. Every every alien movie is when do we get Sigourney Weaver in her panties? I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I don't hate it. Sure. <laughs> She's incredibly beautiful yeah. and amazing in this. And and of course, you know, the original Alien is all this sort of like sexual horror yeah. kind of thing. So you have absolutely it's super earned in that last scene where she's getting into cryosleep mm-hmm. and that's when the alien comes to attack her. But all of it, you know, all of it is super sexualized and very like 
body horror in that way kind of stuff. And so, but cryosleep, underwear. That's the that's how it ends. <laughs> Hi everybody, it's Trisha. Just wanted to take a quick moment and thank you all for listening to Beyond the Screenplay. If you like the podcast as much as we like making it for you, we would really love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want, it would help us out a lot if you could support us on Patreon. For just $2 a month, patrons get extra content like mini episodes and Q&As. And it's a pretty cheap price and it really, really helps us a lot. So thanks and back to the episode. Well, so why don't we go around and talk about what lessons we're going to take away from aliens. Alex, would you like to start? I kind of mentioned this before, but just James Cameron, one thing he does so well is, and especially in these sequels, is he gives us what we want, but then gives us so much more. You know, it's that's it's the ultimate satisfaction in these big blockbuster movies is, you know, you get the thing you came to the theater for, but then you get something you didn't expect. And it's just so much better than you could ever have imagined it to be. Yeah. And for me, that is, like you mentioned, Michael, the last 20 minutes or so, that whole finale, basically when she goes back to get Newt, you know, mm-hmm. from the the Queen's Lair. And just that whole sequence, all the buildup of Sigourney Weaver going in with her, like, guns taped together. So much, you know, there's literally a ticking time bomb. Like, literally a nuke's going to go off soon. Mm-hmm. All the elements are in place. And then you see the Queen. And the design of the Queen is so epic. Mm-hmm. Such an amazing reveal. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. showing the creepy, like, bug tube. Ovipositor. yeah. Is that what it's called? Yes. Ovipositor? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Depositing ovum? Yes, correct. <laughs> okay. And just and and then just the payoff from that point on, the rest of the movie is just so extraordinary. And I think even the filmmaking, I don't know, the quality of the filmmaking and the kind of care that goes into it seems highest in that finale. And Absolutely. Just, there's something about the finale with the Alien Queen where the visual effects seem of a higher caliber and hold up better in that final sequence than the rest of the movie for me. So just watching it again and seeing that finale, it's like, oh, this is what I come to the movies for, where you already had all the aliens and all the explosions, and now you give me this, and it's even better than what came before it. And so that's that's what I want, and Cameron always gives it to me, so <laughs> kudos to him. Yep. Yeah. So you're excited about Avatar? Well, Avatar's maybe Cameron gave it to me. <laughs> I don't Ever. Know. I don't know about future Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. It's true. <laughs> Trisha? Uh, one thing we talked about in the video is the scale and the nature of the antagonist in Aliens is really effective. And you were mentioning about the Queen. I agree. She's terrifying and so intimidatingly enormous and everything. But then just. Being able to look into the original, look at that room full of eggs that they first find in the original and think about where did those come from? How many are there? There are so many. And like essentially latching onto that image as a premise about what the antagonist is and can be. Really, really smart writing. And so thinking about, yeah, the antagonist and I mean, listen, I'm not in a position to be writing a sequel to a huge blockbuster movie, but if I were, I would change the scale and nature of the antagonist. <laughs> well, that, it's, it, that it does both, I think is what's so cool. Yes, it's right. like, that it's like, it's more, but it's not just more. It's there's a queen. Yes. Right? That's so cool. And the yeah. queen is awesome. And there's like a personal like stake and connection. Yes. With her connection. Like, Thematically. It just, right. it just does it all. And it's yeah. so good. Yeah. 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 Brian. Yeah. For me, I mean, it's a little of, um, of what we're talking about. Just Cameron refers to it as answering the question the audience didn't know to ask. And I think that's really cool. I feel like a lot of prequels and sequels are, let's take this one line about a character who said, I did this one thing once and let's show you that thing. And it's like, well, we don't necessarily care about that thing. Or now you're just trying to find where's the protagonist going next and what are they going to do? You know, and, um, and, and again, giving Ripley the reason to go back. It's not just like John McClane got stuck in the wrong place at the wrong time again, you know, <laughs> in a way she doesn't become Ripley until aliens. Like we don't actually know who her character is in the first one other than she's smart and she's assertive and, and a total badass and a total badass. Sure. And a babe uh, and a babe. But it's not until the second one we actually learn like this is who this character is going to be defined as from now on. And I just like how much he, he, he 
explored her character in a way that sequels rarely do. Sequels usually say, you already know who this character is. Now let's take them on another adventure. This is, we don't know that much about this character. Let's really dive into them. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's really, that's really cool. Yeah, I think kind of like what you were saying earlier, Trisha, for me, it's it's the structure of it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's kind of this ineffable feel that I get when I'm watching James Cameron movies where I feel like a lot of action movies when they're dealing with structure, it feels like a burden that they're trying to like, mm-hmm. we got to find a way to get the structure so we have a story so we can do the action. And I feel like James Cameron movies are like, no, we're going to do the, the plot. We're going to do the structure and that's going to be awesome. That's mm. the reason the action is going to work. And I think even if I don't always, you know, I don't enjoy watching Aliens, I can't deny how well structured it is yeah. in a way that it's like, it doesn't feel like an afterthought or a thing that happened, you know, so he could tell the movie. It was like, no, this is the movie. Like, this, the action matters because these things matter. And it feels just, he embraces it in a way that is, like, obnoxious even at sometimes, But it's just so effective. Uh, and I just really, I respect that a lot about about Aliens. Mm-hmm. I, said a, I said a good thing. You did! <laughs> <laughs> what have we all been watching? Brian. So there's an Alamo Draft House in Los Angeles. Yes, there now. is. Oh, I haven't been yet. I'm yeah. so excited. It's pretty great. Uh, yeah, I, I got to go, and uh, it's just fun. It's a fun atmosphere. You can play arcade games, and you know, go through their gift shop before you go, and sit down at your chair where they ha- you have a waiter, and he brings you food and drink during the movie, and they're very quiet and stealthy during the movie, so they don't interrupt you and everything. Um, but what I saw was the director's cut of Midsummer. Uh, which is the Ari Aster's follow-up to Hereditary, which is, who boy, just a, an unsettling film. It's two and a half, two, 45, something. Well, the director's cut's really long. It's, it's like, long. It's almost three hours. Yeah. And, yeah. and I will say on a positive note, I mean, I don't even know if I have positive or negative things to say about this movie as a whole. I know I have a lot of both feelings, yep. which are mostly probably on the negative side. We talked about this when we talked about Minority Report, just a movie that really takes you on a journey where you mm. feel like you went from point A to point B. And a lot of movies, even even some of the big superhero movies, you don't necessarily feel like you went on an adventure the way that this movie is just like, we're taking you somewhere whether you like it or not. Right. The first act of the movie I thought was really strong. They did a really good job of making these characters feel very real, making the world feel lived in. And then it just starts getting silly. It's thematically all over the place. It's a movie where like later when I looked up what he was going for, I went, oh, that makes sense. But you opened your movie with an incredibly shocking scene that doesn't really have to do with the theme that you are then trying to set up later. And I just kept thinking that scene was what the character basis was. So it's, Mm. it's just a, it's the movie is all over the place. uh, And I, I recommend watching it if you're okay with like a shocking uh, type, not even horror, but sort of psychological terror kind of movie. Um, but, uh, and the other positive thing is Florence Pugh is an absolutely incredible actor. Uh, she's and, amazing. And if, amazing. And if she, she is and, so good in that movie. I mean, if she is not she's a good mega star in the next couple of years, like there's something wrong with our timeline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, I'll just time it really yeah. quick. I loved Midsummer. I saw both cuts. Uh-huh. I think most cuts I like the theatrical version better, uh, just because usually what's cut is actually helps the overall structure. Do you disagree about Brian's thematic analysis? I think he's probably right. It's it's not a movie that like by the end of it I didn't really care about like the higher concept. Like this is what makes a good movie, just because mm-hmm. it just hit all my right buttons and it was like a psychedelic insane trip that just ended with me feeling all these weird emotions and catharsis and so i'm like you did something to me movie and it was really intense and i felt a lot and that's more than most movies do to me so i kind of forgive how how all over the place you were right and i think it just it just a lot of it worked for me in ways that are very specific to me that i can't i was gonna say this is like the most alex take i've ever heard yeah they're not they're not objective like reasons like this movie i will say the opening i agree is like very tonally like intense and i actually laughed a lot during the second half of the movie like it was funny but the first opener sequence is not funny at all and in fact it like blackened my soul in the way that hereditary did Mm -hmm. and i was i was like oh Ari Aster, you are so evil. Right. <laughs> like you're an evil person. I think I think 
<laughs> from a screenwriting sort of like lesson standpoint, Hereditary yeah. and Midsummer both do a similar thing, which is they reveal so many rules about the world in the last 10 minutes that you're, you don't really care or understand. Mm. And it's like a little bit too much. It kind of oh, becomes okay. like a dream haze by the end. Right. You know, it's, it doesn't really make that much sense. Right. But I was along for the ride at sure. that point. Yeah. yeah. I don't think Michael or I are going to see that movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, thanks. Let's uh, agree to not do that. Yeah. Perfect. Sounds good. I won't see you there. Great. (laughs) Well, I also, speaking of there, my movie, I also saw at the Alamo Draft House in Los Angeles. I went down and saw The Farewell. Oh. Um, Lulu Wang's like semi-autobiographical starring Aquafina. It's great. Yeah. It's awesome. um, You know, if you haven't heard anything about it, it's a story about um, a young Chinese American woman who has to go back to China. She hears, this is not a spoiler, it's in the first five minutes. She hears that her grandmother is sick and dying. And the family decides not to tell the grandmother that she's sick and dying. So they come up with this like, you know, BS story of like, oh no, your cousin's getting married. That's why everyone is going to be here. But they're really assembling to say goodbye to her. It's this really touching family dramedy. Um, really, really good writing. And Aquafina is amazing in it. And, uh, you know, really inspiring sort of debut film from Lulu Wang. I think it is her first one, but yeah. I didn't know the premise. That that makes me really want to see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's sort of true. And so the the opening card says, based on a true lie, basically. Mm-hmm. Because the family, I guess, really lied to Lulu Wang's grandmother about wow. this whole thing. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's lovely. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Alex, you didn't get to say it. You were just talking about Midsummer. I was just... I was jumping in on yeah, Brian's yeah. Uh, yeah. what he's watching. Yeah. What what have you been watching? Um so I watched Z for Zachariah uh last week, which is a movie that kind of passed by a few years ago. I forget what year it came out. I didn't see the first twenty five, so is it <laughs> confusing? God. Oh, that's Sue Grafton, sorry. Uh, Get out of here. Alphabet joke. I think it was an alphabet joke. <laughs> My God. It's alphabet oh, humor, wow. it's gold. That's respect. Z for Zachariah, it was a little like kind of a small scale uh, character dystopian movie um, with Chiwetel Ejiofor. I want to make sure I say his name right. <laughs> He's fantastic. Um, and Margot Robbie. And they're the mm. two main characters. And then you have uh, Chris Pine coming in to ruin everything midway through. So it becomes kind of like a three-way love triangle. What do you do if you're like, you know, at first it's kind of an Adam and Eve thing of like, we might be the last two people alive. And then there's a third person and that ruins everything. So just a good small character drama in a post-apocalyptic setting and it shows you can do a lot in a it, it was like a Sundance movie it was mm-hmm. obviously big enough budget to have some some names and to look really good and has a great score but it, it did a lot with a very contained small space with three actors and I really liked it for the first half and it got interesting when when Chris Pine came in but it kind of peters off near the end and then I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the ending. I feel like mm. I would watch mm. those three people do almost do anything. Things. Yeah, just right. do and things like, on a, in a movie. And Margot Robbie's really great. Yeah. She's really great in it. Nice. Yeah. So, recommend it. Awesome. Awesome. Michael? I'm going to go with an audiobook okay. that I've been listening all right, all right. to. I've been on a Malcolm Gladwell kick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his uh, latest book came out recently, an audiobook. And it's like a new kind of audiobook. It's basically, he has this podcast. Um, that's very well revisionist history you might have heard of it you might have heard of of the biggest podcast and it's very well produced and so essentially he took his audio book and did it as if it were the podcast so it's well produced and you hear you know instead of him just reading quotes you're hearing the actual audio and it's so it's a very enjoyable listen Um, and he talks about lots of things and I won't go into all of them but I think the most relevant thing to filmmaking um, is a lot of the book it's called talking to strangers and why we are so bad at it like why when we communicate with people we're not familiar with all the things that get in our way of actually (laughs) having meaningful conversations and there's a part where he talks about uh friends and he analyzes friends and he's kind of getting at how we assume people are being transparent so that the emotions that they're displaying on their faces betray what they're actually feeling right and a lot of that is because of tv and the way interesting uh, you know we watch tv and we see when ross is shocked that he's learned a thing it's like oh ross is shocked we get that but in real life that's not how it works when we're shocked sometimes we look normal and calm and it was it was an interesting thing i mean it's fascinating for a ton of reasons but this particular section i was just thinking about in filmmaking and in acting like it's just an interesting 
thing to be an actor and have to portray a performance that signals to an audience, this is what I'm feeling, and it has to be mm-hmm. like an a visual, right? It has to be mm-hmm. visual, but in a way that feels realistic. But realistic doesn't mean real, right. and so it just it's got me thinking about performance and film and all of that stuff. It's really fascinating. Yeah, I, th- I think that's such a f- fascinating thing to watch actors do. One scene mm-hmm. I think about is Will Smith at the end of Pursuit of Happiness where he gets the job and he is so emotional. He wants to cry his eyes out, but he's trying to look professional in Mm -hmm. front of these people who just offered him a job. So he's just sort of saying thank you and everything. And you can just see behind his eyes, he is about to burst into tears. And I think, you know, that's something that editing and all sorts of stuff can do in filmmaking, but also a lot of actors have to do that too. You know, the, uh, you know, the passive aggressive mom is like, Oh no, that's fine. Yeah. Let's do it. You know, mm-hmm. just like smiling and nodding and you can tell because they're a good actor. Like they're saying a lot more than that. Yeah. I feel like that's cyclical too. I mean, I'm sure he touches on this in the book, but we have shaped the way that we react to things based on movies and TV that we've seen. So like I will find myself, I'm, I love the TV show friends and I will find myself pulling faces almost when things are happening around me because I have learned from watching TV and movies that that's how my face is supposed to look when this thing happens. Right. And so, you know, it's not artifice in that sense, but of course it is this, you know, sort of bounce back like an echo of what you've seen already. Interesting. Yeah, well, it's, it's like, yeah, every time the lights go out, I say, what do you mean they cut the power, man? Oh my They're God. animals. <laughs> what are we going to do? Uh, <laughs> we're going to end it there. There, there we go. <laughs> we, we, we should end it because it's starting to get dark and they mostly come out at night. Mostly. Thank you for listening, everyone. <laughs> are we going to sleep all the way home? This is bad. Newt aliens. I don't know, man. I don't know. Game over. Thank you for listening. This has been our conversation about aliens, and we will see you in the next episode. Affirmative. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>